Welcome to Living Chassidus. Together, let's live the Chassidus we learn. Okay, so tonight, for anyone who didn't hear the unofficial beginning, we have an amazing, amazing person, um, Chaya, on my personal perspective of it, Chaya has truly made a very big impact in my life and the life, lives of many others that I know. And we are so lucky to have her. Chaya is a wellness practitioner who uses somatic body work to unravel stress, pa- stress patterns and relieve chronic pain. She is a wife and mother who lives with awareness and integrates the somatic perspective within every aspect of her life. And we are so, so lucky to have her. Thank you so much. If you're up for it, just we'll click over here. And then we'll be able to hear you. Um, So thinking about what we were going to focus on tonight, um, it's kind of like ER is my thing. (laughs) It's like the time of year that even if I haven't done anything like this the whole year, I come out of my hole and it's like ER, it's healing. (laughs) So um, it was kind of like, what what do I, what's going on? You know, she's said you know this is this is not just my work it's my life it's something that I really I would say take pride in you know this is this is how I live and this is what I learn this is what I do and it's what I share with who I am and what I do for myself is what I share with my clients in obviously according to their needs um so as I was saying well what's going on for me it actually made me realize something that had happened for me as we came out of Pesach and kind of, well, we think of what's Pesach. Pesach is hard work. It's actually the physical grueling work of taking each piece of chametz. Chametz is our ego. Chametz is our resistance and actually taking each piece and trashing it. And I was thinking, well, what actually happened to me between Purim and Pesach, I actually had a scenario with one of my kids' school where they were trying to dig into one of my children's behaviors and what was going on and being very judgmental, sometimes schools do. Um, it's not a school in Crown Heights, so no one knows which school it is, it's okay. <laughs> um, but just as a reflection of what was going on for me. And it was a lot of, lot of conflict, not when I reflect back, not even so much between me and them, because my son is my son. He's going to be my son. He has special needs, so it's very complex. And he's going to be who he is, whatever I do for him. And um, But I realized the energy in me was one of literally having to dig through, having to justify as in, like, what piece do I keep? What piece do I throw away? And how do I do it? And how do I get through this resistance? And pace application was amazing because however hard it is, it's like your kids are yours and you just, you go on trips and you have fun and it's, it's we're all exhausted, but you're in a bubble and you just kind of really enjoy your children um, when you can actually have your eyes open after all the exhaustion. Um, but then once you send them back to school and then, as I sent him back to school, I was suddenly like, came to the realization of, have I ever actually spoken to them about him, about his journey of having special needs, which is actually very different than most children's. 
And maybe that's why maybe they actually don't understand his journey. And that's why they're not understanding him. And maybe if I was communicating better with them, I could actually like, maybe this doesn't have to be an issue. And I picked up the phone to them and I spoke it through and they were like, oh, I get it. And it's only what I realized what ER means so much is that in contrast to the NISA and the hard work, the cleansing, the resistance, it's almost a living with the opposite of resistance, actually having that vulnerability, having that openness, having that ability to just say things as they are and communicate and actually resonating with people so that you so that you can be together and obviously it it was very interesting because I always see myself as that person that does that and what it made me realize is that sometimes Hashem puts you in that time and place like the Nissan was a Nissan it was the energy of Nissan and there was no fighting it like I think I did an awesome job of doing Nissan but Nissan's hard work and it's amazing hard work and it gets you to ER where we don't have to have that. We have that higher energy of Hashem's doing the job, um, which kind of brings to mind this, like a story, like, you know, the, you know, the story of the man goes up to heaven and he sees the video of his life and he's walking on the beach and his whole life, he sees two sets of footsteps and he says, he says, God, you're walking beside me. That's so kind of you. And then when he hits the really grueling part of life, he sees one set of footsteps and he turns to God and said, like, God, where are you now? And he says, I'm holding you. And really, like, that is the energy of ER, of, Hash- of Hashem saying, I'm holding you. I'm with you. And we're going to make this, I'm going to actually pour down this energy of vulnerability on you, that ability to connect and the ability to be together, to connect with other people, to connect with me so that we can have this, this level of healing um and um and it's interesting because in somatic experiencing i know many of you said some of you said you have some background some of you don't um what we do is we do a few different practices called orienting and grounding and they're all about connecting to a space around us and what? connecting to ourselves, connecting to the space around us, connecting with people around us and really accessing resources and tools so that we can um, so that we can feel the sense of safety because we've all been through stuff. I mean, some of us have been through trauma, what we call trauma, and some of us have just been through life. There's like the example of, you know, like a friend comes and slaps you on the back and they're like, hey, and I like freeze up. Or like, you know, when they come in, like someone comes in from behind and covers your eyes and you're like in shock. And sometimes those are the biggest traumas because you never actually get the chance to say, I'm traumatized. And so basically all of us have traumas and all of us have this shock. And um, it's really about learning how to tap into the resources that we have in the world that allows us to access here, that ability to feel held by Hashem. And kind of, yeah, we all kind of turn around at those warning times and say, God, where are you? And it's really just being able to, through the toughest times, and we all have them, like we all have them, 
just be able to say like I am held. So I was wondering if if you'd all be interested in kind of just I feel like maybe tapping into some of those resources as kind of we can go into this with kind of a more grounded perspective. Um, so just the way I like to do this is if you can just notice you're sitting on chairs and just notice what the chair feels like. Some chairs are soft, some chairs are hard. And just notice what it feels like to be sitting on the chair. And as you notice yourself sitting on a chair, where do you notice that you're sitting the most of all your body? When your body do you notice that you feel the sense of sitting the most? Yeah. And then notice if your feet hit the ground and what the ground feels like. Is it warm? Is it cold? Is it hard? Is it soft? And as you're noticing this, notice what changes about your body. What I usually notice is my Just notice someone else in the room. You can just look at them. And notice how it feels to notice someone. And if you notice someone else noticing you, how does it feel to be noticed? And notice what your body does, what you notice in your body as you notice yourself noticing someone else and you notice other people noticing you. And then you can just notice one thing in the room. So this is just one really short practice that helps, you know, just set the stage <laughs> so that we can kind of feel more peaceful, more calm, so we can slow down and actually well, do what we call arrive, to actually be here, be present with ourselves here. As we were saying, babies are always present, you know, whatever they're feeling, they bring with them. And we can, we can access that same peace, that same being here that babies have. So by using those tools, by actually tapping back into ourselves. Um, so um, something else that came to mind as I was exploring what ER is, um, it's interesting that it's rainy season. So this really came to mind. Um, the concept of Geshem, because Geshem as uh, like an older teenager, young adult, um, was something I always struggled with. Um, the minute the sky was gray, I would have migraines. And, you know, the, it, this, it, it's science, you know, the dampness in the air it increases the pressure and it hurts. Um, well, the damp, it, it really like, it, it gets into your sinuses. It's, it's air pressure and air pressure changes 
they cause headaches. Um, and I kind of accepted it. You know, rainy days I have headaches, gray skies I have headaches, and that's that. Until one day something made me question it. And I turned around to myself and I said, Geshem is Gashmias. Hashem wants to give me something. And I'm obviously not ready. I hate change. Like me, change. Like, no, I can keep the same and I'm good. And I turned to myself and I said, yeah, I hate transitions. I hate change. But like, then I'll turn to Hashem and say, I want you to give me good things. And then I'll get a headache when he gives me Geshem, which is Gashmias. So I need to turn to myself and say, why? And something clicked one day and I said, I don't know how long it's going to take, but it's a commitment for me. If Hashem's giving me something, I'm going to ask myself what it is that I'm resisting when he's giving it to me. And every time it rained, without fail, I'd get a headache and I'd say to myself, okay, I feel it right, right here. It's pressing on my head and I'm not being permeable. I'm being thick and hard and resistant and I'm not taking it in. And I just sit with it as we do in, in somatic work. We, we just sit with it. And I drew, drew in as many resources as I could with, you know, I'm here, you know, I mean, like I'm feeling, I'm feeling the sense of presence and the grounding and slowly but surely, um, you know, my headaches lessened and I'd actually feel like Gashim is Gashimis, Hashem wants to give me Gashimis and every single time. And literally, I would see it every single time. You've been to my room in my in where I work now. I can tell you, it was the day that my that the tenant moved out of that room. It was a storm, and I booked a client for that night for seven o'clock. And she told me she would out, be out by six. And I was like, I knew she was super clean. And I was like, I just need to set up my massage table, and I can work in there tonight. And it was a storm, and she was still waiting outside when my client came. <laughs> literally and it was a th- it was so much rain that night and that room has been such a bracha it's completely changed what I, what I do right here. so much and I can tell you and every since then every single time I can feel that there's a massive massive rain and I'm like what's Hashem gonna give me and he always does mm-hmm. and Hurricane Ida is that what it was called the the last hurricane the one that everyone got flooded yeah Yeah. um so again it was pouring and pouring and pouring of rain and I was watching it climb up and I was trying to like push it so it wouldn't flood my house and at one point I literally I saw I saw it coming up and up and up and I knew it was like it was coming up above where I could do anything um it was coming up above where I could do anything beyond to make sure that it didn't flood my house and either would it wouldn't Baruch Hashem we didn't get bad damage a door I discovered is amazing <laughs> so Baruch Hashem but I literally at that point I actually just physically sat down in the in the in the water and it came literally till here once I was sitting and I said Hashem I know you're gonna give me something really good because outside, outside in the bottle <laughs> <laughs> Just to clarify. <laughs> it was a puddle. It was pouring of rain and the puddle was like this high. Did you have a huge headache? No, I didn't. That's exactly my point. This is after all this work. And I'm not saying it's easy work. It was a good two years of working through this. And this was just recent. Hurricane Ida was like this past year. Like I've had my room for two years, 
So that was also about halfway. I'd say it was right in the middle um, when it was a massive thunderstorm. And at that point, I was already able to see it. So like, you know, something's like, you know, coming through and it's coming through in a really big way. And again, I could look back at that point and I could see a massive, massive bracha came into my life. Um, and Baruch Hashem, I was able to accept it and enjoy it. And it was fun sitting in the puddle. <laughs> I, I can personally, in my own life, I, at this point, I can make the connection between Geshem and actual Gashmias. And I'm saying it's in Gashmias. Like what I was saying, I guess my room is also, my work room is also a spiritual thing because healing is a spiritual thing. But then again, Gashmias is Rachmias. Every every bracha is a is a rachmias. Like every gashmias is a rachmias, and I can, but I can see how in my life every time I see that there's a gashem, and I'm like, like this is too much, and then I'm like, but I but I'm open to Hashem's bracha. I actually am almost always able to make the connection to why it is that it's a sunny and massive gashmias. That that's my point. That the gashem is gashmias. Yeah. Like what would be one example besides your headache where it was just huge? So, so after I was able to stop resisting, I was able to see the bracha. That was my symptom that I was had. That was a physical symptom of resistance. And once I stopped resisting and was able to say, Hashem's healing, Hashem's sending Geshem to heal me because he wants to send me Gashemias in my life, then I, I wasn't resisting anymore. So I didn't have the headache. And I was able to accept the bracha. And I was able to, I mean, we obviously all have brachas, even if we have resistance, but then to be able to make that connections. And really, I feel so much of life is being not only to have brachas, but to be able to enjoy them. You know, like we all. Would you say gashmias, like you saw like an an extra adding in gashmias? Yeah. Yeah. She had a room in her house that was not available to her. Um, and then there was a rain and suddenly that room in the house was available to her and now it changed her life yeah like real gosh like, um, yeah yeah every time it's actually you know you yeah like my my husband does some freelance work so suddenly he'll get a new campaign that it's like everyone loves and like I'll get a new campaign to work on that pe- like people love and they feel so supportive of. Whereas before he was working for some like he was doing something that was like, well, like was premium per hour. But you know, it it's like, you know, when you find something that people are passionate about, you connect with them and you're suddenly doing so much more. And that's gashmias. So it is the gashmias. Um so in addition to being the rainy season, um, it's very interesting because been studying lately about seasons the site in general and um i've noticed and like i guess a lot of people have spring allergies and um you know again all these things are physical you know the same as the rain is the air pressure in spring there's pollen pollen i almost like the way i see pollen is like almost like tree hormones like the trees are waking up they're growing we have our own hormones we all have our own hormonal issues and imbalances and then comes the tree hormones and it's like and it sets you all off and you can justify it and say like that's it 
I'm going to be hormonal the whole spring. I'm going to have my allergies and that's it. And then we can challenge, us, challenge ourselves to say, well, the trees are waking up and that's waking me up. And especially those of us that have trauma that's stuck in what we call freeze. It's a state where the body wants to kind of stay stuck. Winter is very comfortable for people that are in freeze because they don't have to respond to activation the same way as rain is too much. It's too much to be permeable, too much, too vulnerable to be open to change the same way to wake up to spring, to challenge, to, to growth, to expression, to take off your coat, to be seen, to be seen beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's very hard. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I'm a freeze person too. I completely relate, completely, completely, completely relate. And again, it's just a challenge to turn around to ourselves and say, it's spring, I can wake, oh, I wouldn't even say I can wake up. It's like, what am I afraid of waking up to? Where, where do I feel in myself this fear of waking up? And, and what is it about waking up that's too much for me? And to actually nurture ourselves and connect to ourselves so that we can actually, um, so we can actually start to feel the fear. And I love the expression, feel the fear and do it anyway, because I feel like, it's such a, a somatic concept and people think that when you go into the self-compassion and the feeling the fear that you're going to that you're going to kind of flake out on everything and I've been studying self-compassion a lot and what they talk about is like there's a gentle self-compassion which is the bath and the long walks and the eating chocolate I would actually say the long walks isn't in the category of gentle because that's actually and then there's the fear self-compassion when someone starts up with you when are you going to just say, no, I'm not putting up with that. And, you know, so, so really it's about waking up to all sides of yourself and actually being aware of the challenge and not expecting it to be easy because that's also part of this self-compassion is saying, I know it's going to be hard and I'm going to show up for it anyway. Um, so... Um, to tap into some of the ideas of what we're doing in ER and what that vida is. <laughs> um, so in this one, we how, how far are we in? Okay, we're good. Um, in this one, we had you see and we went out Mitzrayim. Um, and what's that vida there? It's a vida of Skafia, you know, they left Mitzrayim. Baracha um, they they went out. And there's an expression, you can take the monkey out of the jungle, but you can't take the jungle out of the monkey. So like monkeys, what, what are they? They, you know, the, instinct, the instinctual creatures. And if they see food, they'll grab it. And wh whatever their instinct is, you can take them out of the jungle, but they'll still be monkeys. And in a sense, when the Yudin left Mitzrayim, that's, you know, they've been so entrenched in the culture of Mitzrayim for so many years. They literally had to, in order for Hashem to take them out, they had to actually grab their dough and run out because the, the, otherwise there would have been no way for them to be able to leave Mitzrayim. Um, so this is the idea of the chaylesh and Isrape, like when someone has, has, has an illness and they heal from it, most often they'll still have a scar from it. They'll have, they'll have something that they're left with that that marks them. 
Um, and and that, that's the concept of Nessa. That's the concept of Yusuf Mitzrayim. And then we get the concept of Ia, which, which is Hisabcha. And you see when we have the the Oymer, the carbon Oymer on Pesach, which was barley, which is animal food. And then you have the carbon Shtehalechem, which was wheat on Shavuot, which is human food. And what's the avoid of the Oymer? Every day to work on every each one of the middas to turn them over from the Nefesh Bahamas <laughs> into the Nefesh Alakis. And um, when it says, Anoichi Hashem Refecha, it says, Kol machla shesamti v'mitzrayim loyasim alecha. So when I read that line, I had an issue with it. We are all Neshamas that were in Mitzrayim. We're all traumatized. We know that. We're traumatized from them. From then, I am saying like the trauma of Mitzrayim, it, it's, in our, it's in our genes, it's Jews. We carry tra generational trauma. And Hashem saying to us, every machla that I put on Mitzrayim, I won't give to you. And, and that's not a possibility because I have it in me. So what is this concept of ear? Um, Rabbi Yitzchak Ginsberg, he's an, if anyone likes very, very deep, complex stuff, I love reading it very slowly and interpreting it. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable stuff. So he has, he has one concept that he writes about, the Yad Hashem. So the Yad is the Yud, is the ten fingers of Hashem, and the Dalad is the four levels of Hashem's so-called surgery when he's healing. The first is the opening up of the site of the illness. The second is the cutting away of the, the damaged tissue. The third level is the cleansing it out of the, all the kind of the residue around the wound. And the fourth is the sealing it up and closing it up as if there was never any injury or any damage there at all. So this is a level of the surgery of the Yad Hashem. And when I thought of that, I thought of what this concept of ER is, this level of healing that Hashem brings us, where when we look at the trauma and we look at what this work is of the turning over of the Nefesh Bahamis, of this concept of having to run away from its triumph, of all the pressures and all the constraints and all the, the resistance that we were talking about before, what is it and why do we have it? And really to break it down in the Chesed Sheba Chesed or the Chesed Sheba each day, every tiny bit of each attribute. We don't do a week of Chesed and say, oh, Chesed. We actually break down what Chesed is and we go into every crevice of our being and we sit with every piece as we did, you know, when you actually sit with, with what each piece means to you and what it's, how it's functioning inside you. And you make the time for the process and you say, this is a part of my Nefesh Bahamas. This is a part of my trauma. And I'm going to work through this. I'm going to face up to each piece of each trauma and actually make space for it in my life and say, how is this going to be a growth journey for me? And to actually turning it over into Elikos. So again, practically, what does it mean to reorganize trauma? What does it mean to heal so that we, so that we can turn it into elokus, so we can have this concept of Yad Hashem, so we can be healed in a way that it never was? 
well, there's, we have the Rebbe as our guide, and there's many stories. I read one in particular today about a man called Jaza, and he called up the Rebbe and he said, my son has cancer on his leg and it's going to have to be amputated. Please help. And he got an answer from the Rebbe saying, I'm looking forward to hearing good news. And sure enough, he called back Friday and said, well, the scam was clear. <laughs> and that's the Rebbe really believed in that healing. And he gave us, he called us to believe in that level of healing. Yeah, where it never, the scam was clear. It, it, yeah, it, it wasn't there. And um, he called us to believe in that level of healing. And he still does call us to believe in that level of healing where um, where we can really have, you know, complete healing as if it never was. Um, but from a practical perspective in my life, um, I was working with a client recently who had anger issues with her, her father had anger issues and she was sitting with it and kind of she was holding back and she was talking about the physical pains that she was having and at a certain point so she was saying she had this pressure in her neck and I really encouraged her to to actually get up and to push against me and to push me away and I said I represent your father and I'm encouraging you to stand up to me and to push me and to find your strength a peaceful strength, but a strength. And she was, she was like, no, but why should I have to? And he should get over it and he shouldn't have this anger. And again, we, as we worked through it, she really came to terms with the fact that Hashem brought her into this. Um, um, Hashem brought her into this journey with this father because she has a piece to do in this journey. And it's, it's her gift to the world to show her strength, to actually show up and say, this is my space and no one will enter it. And she, she really, she actually took time to actually find her space. When we talk about having Dalit Amas. This is what we're talking about. This is my space and no one will enter it without my permission and she worked through it and she was really able to to find that strength and to find the meaning and and to actually embrace her relationship with her father with all his issues because at the end of the day she you know she's not going to change her father she can only build a relationship with the father that she has with healthy boundaries on her side and hopefully he'll respond to it too you know we've yet to get to that part this was recent that she did amazingly. I'm really proud of her. <laughs> so that was her story. <laughs> um, so um, it's, it's interesting because actually my notes here is where I put in the idea of the gentle self-compassion and the first self-compassion. And we talk a lot about something called healthy aggression because very often we kind of expect someone else to change. We expect no one to infringe on our boundaries. And when they do, we go and eat chocolate. And it's like, no. It's my responsibility to protect my boundaries. And I can eat chocolate if I want to, <laughs> when I want to, but it's nothing got to do with the boundaries. <laughs> chocolate should never be anything got to do with boundaries. Boundaries are boundaries and chocolate is chocolate. <laughs> so, um, so it was really nice to see her actually realizing that, you know, hiding away in her room wasn't an answer. She's denying her father relationship with her. She's denying 
her self-relationship with her father and even more we take these issues to the next generation and we all do anyway but the more we work through the le- the more the more awareness we can do it with and answer sham she's he can be angry what? he can be angry so then she's not gonna have a proper relationship. he's gonna be angry anyway so, is that really building relationships? Whatever relationship he listen, if your relationship material, people so it's it's an interesting one because they say very often that there are times I haven't seen it pass. I have seen it in one case personally, actually. There was one relationship that I did fall away from, but it was very peaceful. A friend that we just stopped reaching out to each other. She was very critical. And as I as I did more and more of this as I studied more and more of this and kind of naturally integrated it into my life, um, as I integrated it into my life more and more, I just stopped being tempted to call her because- They're not building relationships, they're separating from relationships. Yeah, but in every other case, I, I can have relationships with all kinds of people. And I have a friend that I speak to and she's very resistant to being self-aware. She's actually very into being self-aware, but she gets swept away with her emotions. And the whole time, we just when it gets, if I'm giving her suggestion and she's not taking it, and I'll just be like, okay, let's change the subject and we'll move on. And we have the funnest relationship, and everyone's like, how? Because I, I'm not trying to change her life. If if we get into that rut of me trying to change her life, and I realize that she's not interested, it's like change the subject, and we'll find a million other interesting things to talk about. Because you know what? Her problems are not my problems. I love helping her. With her, yeah, but that's our dynamic. That's our dynamic. What I'm saying is you find the dynamic that's healthy. With her, it's let's change the subject. With someone else, it will be something else. But I'm, I, it's, it's a friend and she's aware that her, like, that she doesn't like people to change. To, she likes to be able to sit in her problems. And I'm like, okay, fine. Your problem, like, enjoy it. <laughs> and then when she comes out of that, space and she'll laugh at it and it's cool like it's great but we can be friends because i don't try to change her however how unhealthy her habits are it's not my problem i can have a friendship so we shouldn't have to give up on our friendships on our relationships because someone else has problems i've also seen how somebody could set their healthy boundaries and their their mode into the relationship and the other person without without anybody trying to change them but the other person kind of adjusts that's it based on that and it can make a very powerful shift and then they can even even though you've never tried to change the other person just by you working on yourself that yeah it, it is and they say in marriage they say most of the good therapy happens independently i don't agree completely in marriage i do think it's very independently i don't agree completely because i do think marriage therapy is very very important but i i think they both have a very powerful impact i don't think either work without the other and and for that reason you know i think it comes to a point where there's something that has that has to be done together but so much of it can be done alone and the other person does move along it's it's very it's very it's, it's kind of really amazing to see um so some more on 
health and resistance. Um, it, it's very interesting how we see um, the, the it's, isn't it, do you ever find like, there'll be someone that's like, homeopathy doesn't work, or they'll be like, my kids always react to antibiotics, or, you know, everyone will have their story about healing, and they'll always come true. It's freakily scary. <laughs> I know that I wish it wasn't. <laughs> but you're, I, I, I look around and it's like, it's like everyone has their story about, you know, like the certain things that always work for me, like, and, or for my kids. And people are like, what you, like, how do you do that? It's such a waste of money. And then I'll turn to them about them, their things. The, the thing, the methods that you, they're using, I'm like, my kids always react to it. Why? And I have much, I'm like, they're not going to react next time. And they always do. And it, it's uh, that, that I haven't found a solution. I'm still working on it. <laughs> but I'm working on it. I'll, I'll, I'll happen. <laughs> it'll happen. We'll, we'll talk again in two years' time. Um, <laughs> so, what? Yep. Yeah, I'm completely a researcher. <laughs> I, I collect information, I collect stories, I organize it, and then everyone gets to benefit from a piece of it. <laughs> so there's um someone called Gabriel Mate, he's an expert in addiction. He's an excellent resource. Um and he is actually his 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 phrase that everyone knows of him that he says, he says ask not why the addiction, ask why the pain. And it's, it's really kind of, of the, like the core of all his work of finding the pain and fi like healing the pain, the same way as we were talking about, like her, like her father's anger, why she's taking it in, you know, and kind of that's her pain in her case, um, her need to kind of hold on to her father's anger. Um, so he writes a very interesting book called When the Body Says No. And he explains how um, in all his work and he studies people that he's a researcher um, and, he, you know, all his patients and they have um, all these all these like nervous system conditions. But the very physical ones, the, the ones, the tremors and the, all this, the, the breaking down of the nervous system and he said he once had a patient come in, come in with a condition and he said, I know it's not that because they're not nice enough. <laughs> yeah, and, and it wasn't, it wasn't actually, it was a completely different issue that wasn't a an absolute autoimmune breaking down of the nervous system and they just weren't nice enough to have that. <laughs> so, um, so in a sense, it's very interesting because it comes back to the same thing of what is nice and what is health, what is this concept of Ani Hashem Mafecha and what is living without restriction? Is it running to your room when your father screams or saying, I deserve space in this home and I'm not going to take up his space, but he's not going to take up mine either. And finding that presence in yourself, finding that like that safe space in your own existence, in your environment. As we said, even in the chair that I'm sitting on, knowing that it's holding me and I don't have to do anything to be sitting on this chair. Just knowing that this chair was created to hold me and it's strong enough to hold all of me. That, that just, I mean, think about it, chair. 
<laughs> I mean, I do I have to say more? It's like a chair. I mean, we can go into, you know, all the amazing healings Hashem created, but we can keep it so simple and say Hashem created a chair to support me. And this chair has everything I need in order to hold space for me to be here. And, and we can really kind of take in the simplest healings that Hashem put in the world, the simplest. No, no finish your sentence. Yeah. No, I just, I didn't, I'm sorry that I missed when you said she, the person was, the person didn't really have a movement disorder because they weren't nice enough. I, I missed that. Yeah. What he found was that all the people that had nervous system, complete nervous system breakdown, we're lacking in boundaries basically and in the way he put it they weren't nice enough it was all people that had completely given up their life had their their parents move in when they were sick and looked after them and nurse them until their death and then their parents passed away and then they got this nervous system dysfunction so, the, so in order so he found that in order to heal they needed to learn how to make boundaries yeah What's the name of this person? Gabo Mate. The book is called When the Body Says No. So, yeah, I personally. So I, 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 you can read the book. I'll tell you, I didn't make it to the end of the book because, like, I think it's an important philosophy to know, but it's a bit depressing because it's it's a lot of work to get through it and to know what, how damaging it is to the body to have a lack of boundaries. I don't think it's helpful. Which is. Once they healed from. So some yes, if you catch it early enough, you can heal. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them were way too far in. They had full breakdown, physical breakdown of the nervous system, which wasn't healable. Which is why it's good to read a chapter or two or to talk about it, the importance of it. But I wouldn't recommend that that's the book you buy. I, I think it's like a good title to 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 know. Uh, there's a few books that I'll have on my shelf and I'll be like, that book, but don't buy it. <laughs> and all my clients will be like, well, no, like that book, but don't buy it. It's called When the Body Says No. There's another book called When the Body, um, called The Body Keeps a Score. And again, I'm like, the title says it all. It's a book. It took me six, six months to read. You don't have to buy it, but just read the title. <laughs> it, that, that's different. It's a great book. It's just very tedious. So, so again, a lot. there's a lot of, concepts are important to, to have in your awareness but to actually sit and read how broken these people were and how they were literally killing themselves and like you don't you need to know but you don't need to read chapter after chapter after chapter so at, at that case when they were I, so I see people do I, I I see people like me and you and I see people healing and I see people really overcoming thyroid disorder by finding their voice you know like i i see it because it's on the level of what we're dealing with i mean i mean i hope that most of us are relatively healthy with our small issues and you, you talk about like blood sugar re regulation is a, and is about dealing with exactly what we're talking about now resistance like that resistance to 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 balance a lot of these things are related and that's a lot of the things I do see people finding that strength and that ability to regulate themselves and it does pay off physically yeah so yeah I, I, it is possible on this level to to heal 
through emotional work. Like emotional healing is very, very powerful and it's possible to heal. And again, like we do it, we, we look at ourselves in this state and we, as where we are now, deal with it so that we, we you know, as I said, he, he's a, he was a, like a hospital doctor dealing with like, he was like dealing with the most horrific stuff, like crazy. Like, yeah. Not your answer? What? Got your answer? Yeah, I mean, I don't know about the government. Yeah. I think you're telling me that they did the work that they did. What I'm saying is a lot of them left it too late. Like he got he got them when they were at that end, but even then. Like when is the end? Like were they were old? Or they no, were like they were in the hospital. They were in the hospital. Like they were coming to him. He's like the top there is, you know. And like so you're you, saying, once in the hospital, it's too late. Most of them, yeah, yeah. He he speaks a lot about yeah, yeah. But but that's it. That's we're not there. That's my point. We're not there, and we're dealing with with our stuff now <laughs> so we don't get there yeah um so um the Rebbe talks about and and i sometimes i kind of i used to have a hard time with these lines because it's like like what what does that mean like just put a band-aid on it and it's all going to be better but i find that sometimes when you really are able to to sink into these concepts and really say what do they mean to me you can come up with a whole other layer of what they mean to you somatically like what does it mean to think good does it mean as I said to put a band-aid on it and to just kind of say it's okay or is it to say <coughs> sorry was it to say what's in it for me and as I said, with my struggle with my son of Nissan, I was like, what's in it for me? And actually, for me, I actually realized that in having to justify myself, I made a really big mistake. And I can own up to it that I made under pressure a choice for my child that it wasn't a mistake by anyone else's standards. By me, I realized that I had I had made what other people would see as the right choice. And I realized it was actually the wrong, the wrong choice. Um, and to actually realize how it's so important for me to own my parenting and to not have to justify myself, not have to tell anyone what I'm doing and just actually do the, the right thing for me. Thank you. To do the right thing for me, to, because I know my child, I know his journey and I know what the right thing is, even if it's not conventional. And um, so, you know, to actually engage with it and say, I'll probably never, ever do that again. I'll probably never make that, that mistake again. I'm going to make mistakes for the rest of my life. <laughs> but to actually realize I came out stronger and I know that I have strength, I have boundaries and I can be questioned and it's okay. And no one's reporting me to the ACS. <laughs> you know <laughs> like we all have our fears every one of us do and when someone questions me I'm like well if I'm doing something non-conventional maybe someone will call me to the ACS and now they won't <laughs> and to actually realize that making this 
decisions on other people's accounts has consequences and you live with the consequences, not them. And all these things, when you realize as you go through these processes and you realize when people step into your boundaries and you actually learn how to find the boundary and realize I want to have my boundary, I deserve to have my boundary and I will stick to my boundary next time when it comes up in this way and next time will come up in a different way when Hashem's challenging me to grow even more. He always does. <laughs> That's a, a very kind and caring God that will always present the challenge very, very slightly differently because he wants us to grow some more. Um, so that's my take on... <laughs> yep, yep. Mm. Yeah. Um, so that's my take on all these kinds of concepts that we kind of think that we're just going to wipe problems away it's not really. It's about engaging with the problem and seeing Hashem's goodness within the problem. Um, it's very interesting, actually, that sometimes they do show up in a more conventional way. My father was telling me today that his grandfather, his father, had cancer while his brother was engaged, and he was engaged for a whole year, and he actually didn't make it to the wedding, but he was alive by the wedding, and he passed away a month later. So really like the power of, of, of motivation is, is actually sometimes very direct and very seen. Um, so it was very cool. And um, something else interesting is that the Rebbe actually didn't, when he spoke about the base Chaylem, he said not the base Chaylem, the base Rafua. So words are really important and intention in healing really, really matters that we come into things, not with a, I'm sick, I need to heal this, but you know, Hashem's provided me with, with a healing opportunity and I'm gonna take it, I'm gonna embrace it, I'm gonna enjoy it um, and I'm gonna come out stronger from it. Um, there we up to. Mm -hmm. if you have more, I do. <laughs> yeah, you can ask. Um, so it's very interesting, and I have such a hard time explaining it because there's so much to it. I like to refer it as a form of guided meditation, but it's not really because it's guided in the sense that it's prompted, but it's not like a guided meditation will have a format. This will just have an introduction, which is basically like setting the stage of the resources. You are here right from the beginning, weren't you? Um, yeah. 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 So we did like, you know, I can feel myself and actually you, you notice how it affects your breathing. But then in, in an individual session, well, you know, like the person with her, her father's anger. Sorry. Um, with her father's anger, so she started to actually feel the tension and she could feel her father's invasion and the pressure that she felt from her father. And she started to work through that. Then we went into boundary work and her actually pushing against me and moving across the room. So she was able to find her boundary. Then we found her introduced voice. You know, if the pain was able to say something, what would it say? And then she went into to what she would tell her father 
And then we went into, well, I heard you, but I'm not convinced that you meant it. So she was actually had to find, say it again and again until she was actually convincing to me and convincing to herself. That's like, yeah, you don't mess with me. <laughs> um, you know, and then she was able to process it and how that affected the sensation of her body and her whole, the way her body felt different. So, um, so really every session will be like 100% different. Like some sessions will have tons of movement. I had one session with someone where she was literally went through in like three sessions. I could see her tracking movement from birth till about five years old. And literally throughout each session, she was like curled up like a baby. And then she was doing these thrashing toddler movements and tantrums. And then she was doing like preschooler, like lots of like climbing and self-expression stuff that she wasn't able to do as a preschooler because she was so restricted. And just physically, she was just going through all the movements. No, like no emotional process, no story, just all movement. That's all she did in three sessions. And it was amazing. She felt like, ah, like I can, I can be an adult now. Um, so I do, I, so somatic experiencing isn't hands-on. It does have a hands-on element with the boundaries. I was the pushing, but it's all kind of from her. I'm just kind of the boundary kind of setter. But I do somatic body work, which is kind of helping people access it through hands-on healing. Um, that's, it's different. Um, so it's kind of, a lot of people feel it's a bit like cranial. Yeah. yeah. So that's it. But, but any hands-on healing has that element. It's interesting because there's something called TB, which is basically the, the trademark for somatic body work that I was going to study. My kids were all sick at the time, so I didn't. Um, but it was I, I would have loved to do it and it's interesting because all the people that did it what they came out with was that they had um that from the somatic experiencing they'd got amazing results but sometimes when there's so much generational trauma people are stuck in such a free state that it's so hard for them to access their it's so hard for them to access all this stuff they're so under the freeze that you need to do some of the releasing the freeze for them before they can do it themselves um so that so that's what that's why it is it's basically that channeling tapping into their freeze so how do you do that what do you mean hands-on what, what do you put your hands on wherever it is so, so how does that compare with community? so that's what i'm saying cranial has a very I feel like I, I've never taken a full cranial course. Most of my teachers have studied cranial and communicated parts of it. And a lot of I've done a lot of cranial for myself and a lot of my friends have studied cranial. But there's something about a certain protocol, a certain system, and a certain language that cranial uses that they only they use. So it's a system as far as the outcome, the process, the listening, the rhythms are very 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 similar but the protocol and the language and the 
methodology of cranial is very, very specific to them. It's not that different, but the, I'm saying the process and the outcome, it's not that different. The, the, the protocols and the language and the method, like the, not the method, the methodology, the, that, that's what's very specific about cranial, but a lot of people say it feels very similar. I mean, if there's trauma in an organ, you get into an organ and you help it renegotiate. The same way as a cranial practitioner would listen into an organ and help it help do exactly the same thing. Um, I would say to the same level, just the language we use is slightly different. It's also got a method, you know, you're feeling in to the, to the body's language to, yeah, you know, I, I feel like cranial is quite intuitive. You have to be intuitive yeah. to do cranial. And in the same sense, yeah. And it's interesting because my first experience with somatic experiencing, the teacher was kind of saying, oh, all this energy stuff. And she was like laughing at it. And then she was doing some, some resistance work, some hands-on like setting boundaries. And she had her hand, I think like on two different points in the body. And I could see the connection from across the room. And I'm like, you must be joking that you're laughing at this stuff because you're doing it. <laughs> it was, it was quite, it was quite like funny. <laughs> and like I told her, like, you know, <laughs> you know, healer's a healer. You can't get away from it. <laughs> you know, anyone could say our oh, energy, you know. And you know, if if you're I mean, even as parents, we're healers, as friends, we're healers, as teachers as as whatever roles we show up in like a healer as a healer it's very interesting actually because just um does anyone know alana i'm sure someone must have heard of her and now you must have heard, yeah you know alana alana okay. so yeah so i used to teach as i was kind of setting up when i first moved here and i was kind of like just needed something to do other like to, like together with my massage and it was just after I had my twins and I had got an appointment with her, Miracles of Miracles. And I said, and I turned to her and I said, why I like, why do I keep getting pulled into teaching jobs? And I really want to be doing only massage and kind of, it's just not coming away at that point. It wasn't, you know, I was doing it, but I didn't feel it was, it, it was there. And she said, because there's healing and teaching and it still needs you. And it was kind of really hit me very, very, very powerfully how I had my image of what I need to be doing. Baruch Hashem, that is what I'm doing now. But at that point, like, he, like obviously, like the classroom still needed me. And I did it for a couple of more years after that. And then it kind of just faded away. Like I didn't get offered such good positions anymore. And I felt more established. And, you know, it just, just kind of settled into the background um but it's it's very powerful how healing healing shows up the healing that each of us need to be doing shows up wherever we need to be doing it and we have a plan of what we want for our lives and obviously we should follow our dreams but sometimes if we're still being pulled in a certain direction that's for a reason for them for the moment
until our dream comes true. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Can you give an example? You said you, you were talking about you also do somatic body healing, right? Yeah. So can you give an example of what an issue would be and what you would do, for example? Um, yes. I had a client with um, very severe anxiety, like OCD type of anxiety, where she was having a very hard time. She had a teaching job. <clears throat> and she was having a very hard time going to the classroom. And she just, we, she came, we worked through different things that were coming up in her body. At the beginning, it was very organ related, her kidneys, her liver. Um, as we went on, it, different parts of her brain showed up. Her amygdala, there's a part of the brain, I can't remember what it's called, but it's got to do with repetitive thoughts. We worked a lot with that and then connecting it back to the amygdala. Um, and we worked through, through different, different things. And it was very interesting because at one point, she said her toughest class, she was doing a kashras um, lesson and she brought in, I think it was a chicken to, I know, better have than me. <laughs> no, 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 no. She's, it's funny because for someone with anxiety, she had like really bad anxiety. Yeah, she is. And I told her that you should know, you should know she's a Hasidish Empower Park. And as she was going through it, and she's like, it's taking so long, it's so hard, will I ever overcome my anxiety? And I kept on telling her, you know what? Hashem brings you here and it's your strength that your students need. And she's like, but it's not that type of school. It's never going to happen. Like, we're not vulnerable. Like, 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 teachers are teachers. We're not meant to be human. We're meant to just show up to class and teach. It's not like, oh, my teacher has anxiety too. No, I'm not allowed to have anxiety. And no one's allowed to know that I have it. And I need to cover up. And I said, okay, so functionally, you will cover up. And you're doing a great job. But Hashem gave it to you for a reason. And you kind of... As long as it's still in your life, it's in your life. And there's nothing you can do about it other than keep on showing up here and keep on doing the work at home. And Baruch Hashem. So anyways, so, uh, so she was in class and she had this chicken and she turned to the students and she said, you should know the chicken soup from this chicken every single year without fail is the best chicken soup ever. And you can even come to my class, to my house on Friday night to taste it. And one of these cool kids, I mean, cool, you know, but every, you know, every class has the cool kid came up to after class and said, Mrs. Whatever, can you, um, you, you offered that we can come to your house to taste your chicken Friday night. I spoke to the other girls and we really want to, can we? And she's like, you're for real? And she's like, yeah, I'm for real. We really want to come to your house on Friday night and taste your chicken soup. So she went to the principal and she asked the principal and the principal happens to be Ops's neighbor and she said, yeah. And she made up a bang on Friday night and all the kids came over and they tasted her chicken soup. And this was, no, not for bang and as in it comes it, comes it. And yeah, and and this was her toughest class for someone with anxiety. And she said it went so well. She had that, like, she had. She said she actually sat there with them and sang with them, and she enjoyed their company. And remember, this is a Borough Park school where you're not human. You don't have a house. And she was able to actually, from that 
process of working through it, not only actually become comfortable working with the class teaching, but actually bring something so precious to these children who are children, just like our children, and they need that connection with their teachers. And she said, I'm never gonna do it. Our school doesn't believe in it. And the principal said, yeah, you know, she did the right thing. She asked permission and they said, yeah. So um, that's just one person's journey of, you know, so th there was a lot of the physical process of, you know, it was a lot of, of uterus stuff of connecting to her, to her creativity. As I said, I mentioned kidney liver and then there was lots of brain stuff, a lot of spine stuff, flexibility. So you massage? So some people, if they're coming to me for chronic pain, I can tell you someone else's story because that was more of the somatic, just alignment. I had someone, literally, I only ever saw her once. She literally walked in like this, like her head was stuck. And I was like, okay, so what's been going on? She said, my, my husband was in hospital for three weeks and I thought he wasn't, wasn't going to make it. And it was a miracle. He's alive. He's home. He's healthy. I can't move my neck. And I was working on her and we were doing the, you know, the, the, the stretching and, you know, the range of motion stuff. And it was coming. And I'm like, there's something else. And I said to her, what happened when you were 18? And she said, my father passed away. How do you know? Like, how did you know? Yeah, how did you know? It was I didn't. 18? I didn't. I just said it. <laughs> it's, it's random. It's random. It was ra it's random. And I'm not. No, yeah. No, but very often, very often I'll say between the ages of 15 and 21. But how do you know? Like, there's something, there's something in the body has. The body. <laughs> Yeah, it's a body memory. It, when you're listening, it you hear it. It's just it's when you were in tune. Yeah, yeah. You're always I wouldn't even call it powers. It's just if you're listening carefully enough, if you've listened long enough, it's listening long enough to actually know that when when you hear something, to feed it back to the person, so you can actually. Like I could say yeah. 18 and she'll be like, no, it was 22. But she was in that sense of 18 of that in-between phase of, of uh, I'm grown up, but not quite ready to be independent yet, which is what the concept of 18 is. Yeah. It's not, it's not, an, it's not a number because the body doesn't know numbers. The body knows stages. And when I see that beginning of independent, the emergence of independence, I'll call it 18. She, it might've been 22, but it, in her case, it was pretty close. And she said, my father passed away. And I said, what? one second, you said your husband just about made it. Yeah. You, you thought he wouldn't. And you got stuck there. And now he's made it. Your body's like, oh, now I can freak out and say, <laughs> you know, I, like it, she wasn't able to do it, she, to do it while he was sick because she was managing. And the minute she, her body could start talking, it spoke and said, you know, I got stuck here. And she walked out full range of motion. I never saw her again. <laughs> Hopefully, because she kept her full range of motion. No, 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 no. I, I, it was. This was about three quarters way through the treatment. After we'd done all the range of motion stuff. What kind of motion when you massage You know, the, the like the movements, the the stretching, the massage, the. Yeah, I'm saying it's it's more than just massage. There's there's muscles. Some of them aren't 
you can't massage, but you have to actually like, you like cracking? no, I don't do cracking. I don't believe in cracking. Yeah. Why don't you believe in cracking? Because it, you, it's like you push and shove and it, and what, where's the support? It's exactly the opposite of the somatic. It's like, I expect you to be strong and straight without giving you any support, which is exactly the opposite. So, no, I have a chiropractor that I love. He actually, I was there with my daughter today and my daughter who was, was very, very like, very, very quiet. She literally was on the table, did not stop talking. He was working in her mouth and she was just jabbering away. And we were just laughing. And he, he said, it's going to take nine months. And it's been, he's been going to her. I've taken her, I think, for eight treatments over the course of five months. And she was literally could not keep her mouth shut talking. And I think that's, uh, but, but then again, he's not, he's not all about spinal alignment. He's about creating a support system throughout the body. Um, it does I mean I use practitioners that work like me I only use I'm saying he, uh, you know I can tell you his name he's uh, unbelievable um, William, William's yeah um, I love that system though it's, it's providing the body the tools for it to heal itself in a certain sense that is such a chiddish for what chiropractor or for systematic? Yeah, it's, it's the system. Or not because there's certain that's kind of that. By the way, that's what I said. Then the such a hashkach that was there today, and that we were laughing at literally how much progress she's made, and literally her whole personality is like it's a whole different thing from from physical work, and it's amazing. But that's what you happens when you set the stage of support. Most chiropractors will create an expectation without putting in the support and that's why i won't go to those kind of chiropractors like i went to one that stretched my back Is that that what stretch i felt like i was taller afterwards even though i didn't look at that <laughs> this is not, that sounds nice i'm saying no just stretch it's really painful he held my neck the chair pulled in and i'm like ah. oh no, no, no. okay it was a lot of I don't like it. I feel so good afterwards. Like a maybe so maybe for you it works. I know that for myself when I most often when I go for good treatment, I like walk out and I'm like I like I want to dance. So that's for me what it is. Like I know I, my body's flowing. I can feel that I'm moving well and I feel motivated to move. Um, so whatever it is, you have to know yourself. It's, I'm anti-clicking because I, for me, it's kind of an expectation of the body. And I think also there's a reason why discs get pulled on. When I, I do a lot of pelvic work, it's a lot of like, and I, and I see, I see, I work with tailbones and I see when they're crooked and it's not just a tailbone. You can't just move a tailbone. You like there's the whole pelvic structure and there's all these muscles that are holding it in place. Yes. And I watch tailbones move. I just worked on someone and literally in one session, her tailbone went from being like half a centimeter to the side to being dead center. I can't say it always happens. 
Um, well, depends. It, that's what I'm saying. It depends. It depends what. So that's it. The muscles around uh -huh. it, and you continue supporting the muscles around it. So then the the pelvic bone, uh, not the, the tailbone, is not going to fight it. But when you move the bone without the muscles supporting it, 100%. then the muscles are going to keep pulling it in that direction. It's just yeah, it's a, it's yeah. a different mindset. You can go to the same, have the same motion, and such a different mindset. Yeah. Wait, can can you see it? You have to like feel it. Uh, the tailbone the tailbone is deep you have to get we and you have to measure right down the spine and find it so if someone's rib thrusting that's very obvious from standing you can see a whole sway back when someone's rib thrusting um rib thrusting when they're like kind of sticking out when their ribs like this is rib thrusting how old is she it's very hard at that age because it's such an in-between it's such an in-between age and I, I don't know anyone I don't know. It, it could be there's something called the gallant reflex that could be and you can hold her if you want to do it yourself, just hold her mid back and see if it helps. Google the gallant reflex. There's a few, there's a few exercises, but you can just do gentle holds okay, down the spine. <laughs> what? No, 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 it's a sway back. It's a sway back. Yeah, it's like this. It's a sway back. It's when the belly sticks out because with the massive bellies. Uh, rib thrust. But she doesn't have it. Like, I don't know if she doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. I would also maybe do some, some like, like diaphragm work, some upper belly massage. That is probably, yeah. Because she, at this point, she probably can't. And then you can also, you know what I love doing with my kids? Animal movements. So, animal movements it's like oh let's all call like a snake or let's that way you kind of you get her you give her options like there's a cat what like you go yeah yeah cat cow yeah that like just to give options yeah it's very interesting because i was actually thinking about the story of the client with the who had the father with the anger issues and to relate it back to the idea of the Omer and the coming, like converting on their fashion of Hamas, to me, what I found most apparent about what is being a, a human, what's being a Yid, and what we see in something that somatic experiencing talks about a lot is the idea of having options. You know, I don't have to stick up for myself. I don't have to carry away. I don't have to do anything. I, I don't have to eat chocolate. They're all options, they're all possibilities. And I don't have to, I, I can do a part of each. And it's like, and when, when I first learned somatic experiencing, everyone, like the biggest question is like, is it this or that? And she's like, there's no or, there's and, <laughs> you know? And it's just the ability to kind of not be all the way there. Like not to expect yourself to, it's, it's not like, am I gonna get a migraine like when it's gonna rain or, Am I gonna be able to be perfectly okay with everything? No, I'll just be where I'm at right now. You don't get migraines when I'm away. 
No. Amazing. I still got spring allergies. We're working on that. <laughs> and what was the thing I was saying? I'm like my next goal. Yeah. <laughs> there was something. What was it? There was, there was something I was saying. I'm like, no, I'm like I'm not even like I'm like at the early days. That we'll come back in two years and now I'll be. Yeah. Well, the spring allergies are a little better this year, but I'm, I'm a bit coughing. What well, about? about the emotional stuff yeah, yeah. I love it yeah because I'm very passionate I have seen massive progress over the past two years but I still have it I still have it like <laughs> yeah oh, yeah. <laughs> you feel like different trees may have less of an exposure the same tree exposure a lot and just a lot of it and many times it's interesting it makes sense from a physical perspective like from the hormonal perspective if you see it as like what i was saying the tree hormones it kind of makes sense it does make sense yeah and they also have freeze like i'm saying the reason why it is, it's that freeze is that I don't want to wake up. I don't want to have to process this. I don't want to have to engage with what, what the challenge is. And uh, yeah. Are you talking about yeah. women's hormones or the trees having hormones and us getting a reaction? Yeah, yeah. no. It's a physical reaction to the fact that the trees are waking up and they're calling us to wake up. There are, it's funny because I think there are less men with allergies. And yeah, but they're calling us to, to yeah. Yeah. Last year was really Um, There was a question. I think we'll finish off with this question. And then okay. Whoever wants to stay and keep chatting, they can. But yeah. um, there's a question about somatic health in relation to mental health. What is the question? Does it help? Um, is it mental, 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 mental health challenges? Yeah. So I'm going to take it kind of however I take it when someone, uh, I mean, like I was speaking about someone that had OCD and anxiety, it was a very safe grade of it and I was the only practitioner she was seeing and I kind of said like she made amazing amazing progress when I'm working with people with anorexia bulimia drug addiction I won't be the only practitioner working with them and I always tell them I'm the one that will give you permission to experiment do anything you want you need someone that's going to be there to keep you safe <laughs> you need a like anorexia bulimia drug drug addiction you need a psychiatrist you need someone that can medicate as needed. Um, you need someone that can admit you to a facility as needed. You need someone that's going to make sure that you're in the safe zone. Wait, but it doesn't, yeah. Well, no, so what I'm saying is there's, there's priority is you need to be safe. So if there's dealing with severe drug addiction, with anorexia, bulimia, like if you're not to yourself, you need to know that you need to take care of those around you. Then you can work on yourself at the same time. But like, so yeah. That's what I'm saying. I won't be the only practitioner. I'll expect them to have a psychiatrist, or if it's kind of borderline, a what if they don't? Then I don't feel safe. 
So yeah. What about you? like depression and anxiety so i work a lot a lot with postpartum depression with anxiety like like the level of anxiety that i was talking about with this woman she she was literally should i quit my job should i not quit my job that, but that's not dangerous what would have happened her husband was making enough you know enough money to get by she would have quit a job it would have been okay i wasn't worried about her having a psychiatrist someone that could could potentially overdose and if they don't have a psychiatrist that's not responsible i can't be working with them when i don't feel like they're safe because i could be bringing up stuff right you, you don't know when you start engaging with your trauma what's going to happen and if they're on abusing drugs i can't take responsibility for that i won't and how how does this process work with something like depression or anxiety or I feel like that was a really good one. I had another person with OCD also, and it was before I learned somatic experiencing, and she actually had a therapist. It was quite severe. And um, after about three sessions, she hadn't told the therapist that she was working with me. And the therapist turned her and was like, what happened to you? Like, you're actually doing what I ask you to do. <laughs> and, and yeah, and I barely see her. I saw her like six weeks weekly. And then again, six times of like every two weeks. And now she'll call me when she's in a rut. You know, every six to eight weeks, sometimes three months, you know, you know, just as needed. And she'll call me. And sometimes if I don't have an appointment for two weeks, she'll by the time I see her, she'll be like, I, you know, I feel better already. I just needed to connect to the fact that I'm going to do something for myself. And then I could kind of get my act together and realize I just have to go over it. And she still has OCD, but, you know, she just got herself a job. Um, yeah, she's amazing. And she completely manages her life with OCD. And, and that's always my goal. My goal with people isn't to, to like, to not have OCD, specifically with OCD. It's like, okay. So when she makes challah, she'll warm up the water and check that it's the right thing. And she has her whole, her whole ritual. And it's like the challah gets made, her kids get fed, her kids get hugs, and she actually got herself a job now. And what, like, what, what could be better to live a good life? So, yeah. Um, did that answer the question? Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, okay. I think we're going to say thank you so much.